0: In the last half hour, we were talking about rising interest rates and just the impact it's going to have on all kinds of people. I mean, the whole point is to try to drive down demand to reduce demand and therefore reduce prices and therefore curb inflation. But in the inter- in the interim, those of us who have mortgages, especially if you have a variable rate mortgage, if you have a home home line of credit, um, it's going to be tough. And there's more coming, apparently, before the end of the year. Let me know what kind of impact it might have on you. I'm interested to know how people are coping with this. 877 399 989-8877-399-9898. let me know where you are and who you are. Well, affordability was certainly expected to be an issue in this uh, current Ontario provincial election. Ontarians uh, go to the polls uh, tomorrow. A new public opinion poll shows that Doug Ford and the Progressive Conservatives are set to form government for a second term with another majority likely it was conducted by Ipsos exclusively for Global News it found that respondents would give Ford 41% of the decided decided vote up 3 points since the middle of the campaign It also indicated a majority government, again, likely for the PCs because of, and this is a familiar story, vote splitting between Liberal and NDP supporters for progressive voters more, and the Greens too. Uh, With that, the poll also found that when it comes down to who will become the official opposition, the race is very tight uh, between the NDP and the Liberals. But overall, it also discovered that, especially young people, but most people in Canada's most populous province weren't so excited about this campaign. We're likely
1: to see... Uh, lower turnout, uh, because if you're not inspired by your choices, then why bother picking from among them? So when apathy is high, we see that younger people generally stay home. And when younger people stay home, that gives a
0: solid advantage to the uh, Progressive Conservative Party. That's Sean Simpson of Ipsos talking a bit about what they had found. Three main party leaders were out today, uh, Doug Ford, Andrea Horvath of the NDP, and Stephen Del Duca of the Liberals, uh, all in the Toronto area. Uh, So what do you expect tomorrow? Are the polls right, or could we be in for some kind of surprise? And how will we know if there is one? Joining me now to explain is Sabrina Nanji. She's a journalist and founder of the Queen's Park Observer. Thanks so much for your time tonight.
1: Thanks, Ben. Happy Election Eve.
0: Absolutely. A busy time for you. I'm sure it's always nice when they're over. I remember from covering campaigns.
1: Yeah, I've uh, got my pizza order <laughs> lined up for tomorrow, but it's going to be fun, I think, which uh, as you said, you know, it's been a bit of a sleepwalk uh, campaign. Um, and so I guess for us, you know, political nerds we're we're glued to this, but for the most part, it's been kind of boring, if I can put it that way.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, what would you, you know, can you put your finger on why it's been a bit sleepy? Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, every elections are always held at this time of year, so it can't really be the weather. But uh, why has it been a bit of a sleepy campaign this time? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors at play there, um, and and you know, I'll explain a little more what I mean about that. You know. Uh, Almost 29 days ago, when the the writ was drawn up and this campaign started, we're kind of hearing the same storylines. Uh, I think there's you know a lot um, a lot at play here. You know, uh, COVID fatigue is probably playing playing a bit of a role here. You know, the last two years we've all been glued to the news in Ontario in particular. Uh, our restrictions are. Uh, mostly lifted there there aren't really that many in place the weather is getting better uh, and even the political parties themselves aren't talking much about covid and, and the pandemic which uh, is is reflected a little bit in the polls of course doug ford and the conservatives who are seeking um you know re-election they they don't really necessarily want to be talking much about their record uh, when it comes to the pandemic and you know, the biggest issue on everyone's mind right now is cost of living and affordability. And so I think, you know, ex- exhaustion is playing a role in this. Uh, you know, people are, are very concerned about pocketbook issues, and that's taking precedence uh, over, you know, how much they're paying attention to the election. And then there's not really much of a compelling alternative to the Conservatives. Uh, NDP leader Andrea Horvath and Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca have been jockeying for second place, as you mentioned, that Ipsos poll is saying what pretty much all the polls have been telling us since day uh, and so they've kind of failed to, um, hammer Doug Ford and the conservatives on the pandemic on his pandemic record. Uh, and they've been talking a lot about affordability, which of course is top of mind for everybody, but generally speaking, you know, that is kind of the, the purview and, and the, the brand, uh, of Doug Ford and the conservatives, uh, affordability pocketbook issues. So it, it's been, uh, you know, a bit of a sleepy campaign and that tends to favor the status quo and, and the powers that be. Um, and I think the, the biggest, uh, you know, potential upset could be whether Ford gets that magic number 63 for a majority uh, or, or if, you know, they can hold him, his opposition rivals can hold him to a minority.
0: Just trying to figure out, I mean, in the last campaign, I remember Buck Beer and so on. There, there doesn't even seem to have been, at least on the progressive conservative side, any real platform here. It was just sort of, yeah, we've been here for a while. Why don't you let us run the place for another few years or four years for that matter.
1: Yeah. Instead of buck a beer uh, from the conservatives this time around, we got buck a ride from the liberals, kind of a, a right. cheeky play on, on the, the Tories pledge from the last time around. So that would temporarily, you know, make transit fares. Uh, A dollar, Um, You know, there's been a lot of questions around that. uh, But it certainly, you know, grabbed headlines and grabbed people's attentions, which, uh, you know, was a huge feat for the Liberals. They were just absolutely decimated in the last round in 2018, you know, after 15 years of power, reduced to seven seats. uh, And it's frankly a little bit embarrassing, I think, for the NDP, uh, you know, which had a great showing in 2018, forming official opposition. And yet we've got, you know, uh, a very strong Liberal brand here in Ontario. And so they they, they still managed to, I guess, give the NDP a run for their money when it comes to second place. Uh, But you're right about Doug Ford and the Conservatives. And I guess, you know, what a difference four years in the pandemic has made uh, to the Conservative Party. They came to power, you know, promising to cut the gravy, as as Ford likes to say, uh, bringing in austerity measures. But I don't think there is really much appetite that even for that even um you know when that tends to be red meat for conservatives especially fiscal conservatives they're now boasting doug ford as as someone who says yes a yes man i'm not sure if that's the the best uh phrasing you know politically speaking um but but they have record spending and you're right there really wasn't much of a re-election platform it was essentially the spring budget which they tabled very late in the game just before the house rose so there was no time to pass it they say it'll come back uh but there weren't very much surprises there. A lot of it had been announced in the run-up to the campaign. So certainly, you know, this has only been 29 days, but it feels like all the parties have been in campaign mode for a very long time. Uh, and and the Conservatives' message seems to be, you know, uh, give us another shot here. Uh, we don't want to rock the boat. We're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, people are willing to give Ford, I think, a bit of a mulligan on that. Even folks that I've been speaking to who say uh, you know, they would never vote for Ford or the conservatives, you know, their feeling is that he did the best he could. And so, um, you know, we're we're seeing that that kind of play out in the polls as well. And of course, you know, with the opposition having a hard time getting their message out there, that just kind of helps uh, the conservatives. And of course, Doug Ford and the conservatives have not been um, you know, making him available to, to reporters as much as his opponents. They've kind of been laying low. Uh, what, you know, strategists have told me is a bit of a front-runner campaign. You know, uh, Doug Ford has put his foot in his mouth um, before, and they want that as, as little as possible during the campaign. And clearly what the polls are telling us seems to be working for them.
0: Yeah, I, I get the impression they were simply thinking we're ahead and if we don't make any mistakes, we'll just have to see if the NDP and the Liberals can try to beat us. And nothing they've done so far sounds like they've registered uh, or at least made enough of an impact to do so. Of course, the the conversation that always happens is that why don't progressive voters vote more strategically? Because you notice, uh, at least sitting in another province, you do notice how much sniping the Liberals and the NDP have been doing at each other uh, in this battle for second place, it would seem, uh, instead of sort of uniting their their powers and trying to get someone over the top.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, bitterness there and it's just been ramping up, I think. And of course, you know, that does, uh, you know, run the risk of uh, splitting the vote, um, which, which always kind of comes with strategic voting. And in a way that both the Liberals and the NDP are pitching strategic voting. They're both positioning themselves as we're the only party that can beat Doug Ford um, they they've been going back and forth, almost spending as much time, you know, uh, criticizing Ford as they are each other. And that kind of allows Ford and the conservatives to just kind of sit back and let the other two go at it. Uh, I think, you know, liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca was almost forced to say, I don't despise Andrea Horvath because of the, the, the level of, of uh, sniping that's been happening as, as you said, um, you know, I, I think this, this is kind of ringing of 2018 when Kathleen Wynne, sort of acknowledged in the final days of the campaign that she wasn't going to be premier anymore and that people should still vote liberal just to, you know, make sure that the PCs or the NDP did not form government. Obviously, the Conservatives formed government and the NDP had, you know, one of its best showing in in recent memory with 40 seats and, and official opposition. But a lot of New Democrats thought they could do better and thought that they could at least hold Ford and the Conservatives to a minority. And so this is really raising a lot of questions about the future of Andrea Horvath. This is her forest kick at the can as leader of the party. Um, and that's a rare thing, you know, it's rare for leaders to get four tries. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that she that she could, you know, face a lot of pressure to step down. I've been reporting myself, uh, on the, the nine oh one club, you know, a grassroots movement within the party that has, you know, been sharpening their knives. They say that the minute polls close at nine PM on Thursday night, they if Andrea Horvath does not, you know, win the premier's seat or if she loses seats, which it seems like all the polls suggest will be the case, there's going to start being pressure on her to step aside. Um, even Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, the polls are saying he will not win back his seat in Von woodbridge which is currently represented by the Conservatives. Uh, and if they, if they do form, you know, official opposition or at least get recognized party status, which is 12 seats, which they don't currently have, I think they'll keep Del Duca on. But certainly there's going to be a lot of questions surrounding both of their leaderships.
0: Yeah, four, four elections is a lot of elections. And if you start to take a step backwards, uh, one can only expect that you mightn't be around for too, too much longer. I'm speaking with Sabrina Nanji. She's a journalist and founder of the Queen's Park Observer. We're talking about the election coming up in Ontario tomorrow. The polls all say uh, Doug Ford and the Progressive Conservatives are headed for another victory, probably another majority. But what if there's a surprise in the works? How will we know? What should we be looking out for on that electoral map tomorrow? That's now. Speaking with Sabrina Nanji this half hour about the Ontario election. She's the journalist, in fa- she's a journalist and the founder of uh, the Queens Park Observer. Uh, we've been talking about the polls showing that Doug Ford and the Progressive Conservatives are likely headed towards another win, if not another majority, and just the fighting between the NDP and the uh, and the Liberals uh, for second place, uh, but also the splitting of that vote, um, which will perhaps hand uh, Doug Ford a greater majority with a lesser percentage of the vote, popular vote, maybe. So uh, Sabrina, if we're watching from afar tomorrow night and want to know if there are any signs that things may not quite be going the way the polls are predicted, what are we looking out for? Yeah,
1: I think it's going to come down to regional races. Uh, You know, of course, what we've been talking about this whole time, you know, if you're someone at home, uh, you know, an anti-Ford person, you don't like the Conservatives and you're hearing that they're leading in the polls, this could just kind of, you know, have a galvanizing effect. And so it's really going to be up to all parties, really, to get out the vote, um, you know, make sure their supporters are actually you know, casting ballots and going out to the polls. Of course, you know, the Conservatives uh, might get a little too cocky and, and not push that, uh, but it's also going to come down to some tight races. Uh, we had mentioned Vaughn-Woodbridge, where Stephen Del Duca is running here, which is just, you know, uh, north of Toronto. Uh, you know, he, he might not win his seat. That's, that's one race I'll be looking toward. Uh, the 905 in particular, Brampton and Mississauga areas, it's a very seat-rich area. It tends to flip between Conservatives, and liberal, and even there are uh, you know quite a few NDP representatives there. So that's uh, you know one spot I'll, I'll be paying attention attention to as well. Um, you know even. Uh even Andrea Horvath and uh, her, her future prospects as leader, it just could all have the opposite effect. I know Christy Clark over in your neck of the woods uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago, she, she faced her own 801 movement and, and she ended up turning out, you know, a, a come from behind victory. Uh, while it, it does seem unlikely and, you know, there's really not much time to kind of change the storylines that we've had since day one. I think, you know, looking to the, the actual, uh, you know, tighter races, seeing uh, who's coming out on top, That that's kind of the, the, the big indicator and and another one is um uh, Parry Sound Muskoka kind of like cottage country area in Ontario here that's where the green party uh is pushing very hard to to grow their caucus of one uh Mike Schreiner the leader he you know, uh, made history in 2018 by becoming the first MPP elected to Queens Park, and you know he's actually performed uh, pretty well. He's he's kind of the only leader and um, and party that's you know had a bit of a bump. Of course, you know the Conservatives uh, have have a handy lead hand, handy lead right now, but uh, I, I think that kind of came down to Shriner's debate performance. He was unequivocal uh, and very strong, but at the end of the day, when your chances of forming government are virtually nil, it might a little bit easier to, to play that role. So uh, it's going to come down to the races for me. Although, you know, the way uh, our election system is set up here, polls close at nine. I think we might, you know, get a sense of who's taking this, uh, you know, before the hour is up.
0: We found out in BC that just three green MLAs can make a huge difference in government, actually, uh, in an election not that yeah. long ago. So we'll see what I mean. Uh, I, I, I doubt we'll, lightning will strike twice in that way. Uh, just in terms of broader, for, you know, obviously this is a national audience, for some of the broader uh, lessons to be learned for the conservative movement, because of course they're going through a leadership race now. We've just seen what's happened to Jason Kenney in Alberta. Uh, Doug Ford, for all the criticism of his performance during the pandemic, seems to have found a formula. More conservatism in Ontario particularly that works and it is not really you know it's neither particularly uh you know uh, orthodox in its way it's not particularly solid he's not raging against the federal government uh he seems to break the rule book a little bit but it's working apparently in Ontario are there lessons for the rest of the country here do you think
1: yeah I mean you know it's Doug Ford 2.0. That's for sure. Uh, he, he's definitely changed throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, we did see him every day. So Ontarians voters really got a chance to know him. Of course, you know, he's, he he doesn't uh, like to speak to us reporters as, as much as he often did, but he was holding press conferences almost daily. Uh, and I think that, you know, he kind of comes off, off the cuff, uh, you know, unscripted. And that, you know, can work in his favor. Uh, You know, people like to vote for that's that old adage, you know, you vote for someone you'd like to have a beer with. And I think, you know, Ford kind of fits that bill. And then, Uh, He has kind of now shifted. Of course, it's the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, and he's now emphasizing the progressive side of that. Uh, He's also been working very closely with with Ottawa. And it's very funny how, uh, you know, Trudeau and the Liberals uh, have kind of used Ford as a foil and vice versa, and then used each other as allies when it's Politically advantageous for them, Uh, you know, just before campaign kickoff, uh, Trudeau and Ford were making announcements about electric vehicles, just, you know, making it rain funding announcements there. And uh, that that was a big boost. To Ford, I think it might not have made uh, you know some of his his base very happy, people who you know don't like Trudeau um, over in Ford Nation as we call it. But for the the wider public, I think it, that actually played very well. And of course, it made things a bit awkward for Liberal leader Stephen Del Juca, um, who Trudeau hasn't really you know said much about, or certainly hasn't been out stumping with him on the campaign trail. Uh, we also have a bit of a unique. Uh, set up in Ontario where it always usually works out where we vote one way provincially and a different way federally. So provincially, if we've got Conservatives in power, then Ontario tends to vote Liberal in the federal elections. And we did see that Ontario voted overwhelmingly Liberal, uh, you know, uh, last September and so I think the, the lesson for, you know, conservatives is how to maybe appeal to the, the broader electorate. Of course, you know, the federal uh, leadership race that's happening now, it's, it's one thing to win over card-carrying Tories. It's another to win over, uh, you know, the broader electorate in a general election. And so I think that, especially coming out of the pandemic, not much appetite for austerity measures Uh Doug Ford has really kind of tried to frame himself as as the steady hand, someone who's not going to rock the boat and someone who is I guess willing to say yes as as they like to you know, as, as they like to say in their campaign slogan, that uh, he has shifted, you know, maybe not much on a lot of policies. I'm thinking the minimum wage, uh, he's not promising to raise it as much as the more progressive party, but he is promising to raise it. Uh, he has won over some private sector union endorsements, the public sector is not very happy with him, because he's capped uh, their their wage increases. But, uh, you know, it's, it, they are playing more towards the political center of the of the spectrum, and I think that uh, that that bodes very well. Certainly in Ontario, uh, where the Liberal brand is very strong, but also now we're kind of seeing the Conservative brand, like uh, you know, being even stronger than than the Liberals in some polls and with some experts that I've been ch- chatting with.
0: Sabrina Nanji, good luck tomorrow night. We'll be watching. Uh, thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks.